0: hey everybody welcome
1: to let's Pop this my name is andy moore and i'm one of your hosts uh joined like every week by my two co-hosts miss mailey perkins hello
2: hello happy friday everybody
1: happy friday and dr scott melson hello sir what's up man Scott, do you like the over-the-ear headphones more than the earbud situation? I have? do.
0: I do. I'm a, I'm an old soul, you know. So.
1: And only old men wear. I have my over-the-ear, but I. It's constricting.
0: constricting. No, I, don't know. I just like. I just. I, I like the. I like the over-the-ear. I like the. I feel like it offers better noise canceling and it's comfortable.
1: Ah, well, that's, at least one of those is definitely true. <laughs> anyway. I digress immediately. That's If this is par for the course, um, listeners and viewers, you can tell exactly how this episode is going to go. Uh, so this is our second live episode to do, live streamed um, on Facebook and YouTube and Periscope, who even knew that was still a thing. If you are watching, great. Feel free to comment. Um, we can see your comments and uh, maybe we'll find a way to work them in uh, as we go along. If you are listening to the podcast, thanks so much. If you're watching but not listening, you should definitely go subscribe um, so you don't always have to be here. We are going to start doing this live at 3 o'clock on Fridays every week, at least for the foreseeable future. We've been recording at 2, but that sometimes is tough for one or more of us to get there at the right time. So we're going to do 3 o'clock. Hopefully that is better for folks to watch as well. Okay, well, this week, man, when a quadruple veto override is the least <laughs> significant thing that happened in the legislature in a given week, you know that session is almost over. Uh, and that's the case right now. This week, the governor vetoed the budget and three other bills, and the legislature moved very quickly to override all of those vetoes and issue a strongly worded statement that we'll discuss in a minute. Also, the legislature passed all manner of other bills that would do, you know, almost everything. A quick sampling includes changes to the initiative petition process, attacks on campaign ethics rules, pay raises for judges, um, the big omnibus administrative rules bill, uh, which passed entirely just as it is, except for a couple of tweaks that they took out related to vaccines. Um, they're debating an abortion bill as we record this, and I'm sure it'll pass uh, permanently permitting curbside and delivery of liquor, which is arguably a good thing, particularly if they keep passing these other bills uh, and a cost of living increase for retired state employees. That is a good thing. And I will note one of the only priorities that they said they'd be working on that they've actually worked on. Yeah, <laughs> when we had Leader Eccles on early uh, in the session, and so much more. So also, as Bailey noted, today is officially the first day of phase two of the COVID-19 open back up our state policy, or whatever hokey name that it has. <laughs> um, so effective today, you can go about your business, right? Like bars can open, restaurants, churches. Boarding. yeah. But with, what about like bowling alleys? Is that a thing that can open now? Really, anything. They said, yeah, like, I don't know. I'm just
0: just staying home. So I don't know where you're allowed to go now because I'm still trying not to go anywhere.
1: So the thing that's weird to me, and I mean, clearly, I think many of us saw the, the, video or pictures from Kong's Tavern from a couple of weeks ago here in Oklahoma yeah. City. How, I how uh, was
0: that allowed? I don't know if that was allowed. Like,
1: well, I don't think it was, but I don't think that law enforcement is forcing things. Um, also, I mean, if you go to these things, you're taking a risk, right? Like, Not just for yourself, too, but for other people. I mean, we've sure. seen in other states where uh, people went to church, and or to choir practice, right? And that choir yeah. practice like, resulted killed, in killed
0: people. The choir practice killed people.
2: Yes. Well, like there's seven... a recent story as of yesterday where um, a nail shop um, yeah. has asked its um, staff and, and those customers who were visiting that day to quarantine because one of the employees uh, was tested positive for COVID. So, right.
1: So, you went to get your nails done and you caught the COVID potentially, right? Like, um, hopefully they were using other practices. the technically, I think Governor Stitt's thing is still this is like phase two of opening back up, but the safer at home procedures are supposedly still in place that you are safer at home. and if you go out, you're supposed to practice social distancing, you are supposed to um, uh, wear masks, you know, do that are, are you churches. are you
0: are you supposed to wear a mask? Because like I know the CDC says that you're supposed to wear a mask, and like I know that like the doctors and other public health experts say that you're supposed to wear a mask, and like most like a big chunk of people that I see are wearing a mask, and like I'm wearing a mask like as a doctor, you know, when I go out and see patients, really do anything. But like the governor and the president seem like they don't have to wear a mask when they well, go through yeah, stuff. So I'm a bunch I'm, of members of the legislature. i right? yeah, I'm I'm confused about what it is that we're supposed to be doing. One of uh one of the
1: press corps from the Capitol posted a it's not even last week but a picture of the sign on the door that says everyone must wear a mask and then oh no it was uh, Representative Andy Fugate that's who posted yeah. um, the picture outside that everyone must wear a mask and then a, and then a picture from the gallery of the of the floor and n- not everyone's wearing a mask
0: because uh, hashtag freedom
1: right well yeah I would prefer to remain free of.
2: Covid,
0: Corona, yeah. You know, it's like we were. I was like preparing today. You, you know, kind of thinking about like we are to talk about, and it's like you know, it's the, it's the second, second or third to last Friday in May. I'm furious and disgusted with the legislature. We're about to record a show. This is like the most normal things have been in a while, right? <laughs> like right. it's been yes. a while since i've been completely just furious with the Capitol unless we sit down because they haven't been allowed to do anything but Maybe now that they're back yeah now that they're back they're in they're in full stride doing horrible things it's
2: great but yeah. to that point this is very typical of this time of the year for those who are involved in advocacy especially um in this election season because uh, lawmakers Um, whether there's a pandemic or it's just a regular day, um, they're pushing through as much as they can, um, to get done because some of them are turning out, um, some of them are preparing to campaign. And so usually we see an influx of of bills go through session anyway, during this time. And so that's the one piece of normal that we're seeing. (laughs)
0: Uh, the, uh, just Uh, the uh, the billing question. Of course. The abortion bill uh, that they were just debating passed, uh, seventy-six to eighteen. So just now. Yep.
1: Yeah, I'm sure
0: it was on party lines. That's pretty pretty close. Pretty close to party line. Yeah. I think there's like um, six people, six, six people or so must have not voted for it, but
2: or they either yeah. didn't vote or yeah.
0: Yeah, but anyway. So there you go. All
1: so right. I, well, um, man, what a week. It's what day is it? Friday. Let's. Um, so we'll talk through, I think as many of these things as we can, but certainly not all of them because we try to do this in an hour. Um, but let's start with the, the ethics commission stuff. Cause I think that's super interesting and we'll end with the budget. Um, so on Thursday, it looked like they were trying to pass a bill that would allow candidates to spend their campaign funds on, personal expenses, not just campaign expenses, so long as they reported those expenses to the Ethics Commission, like everything else. So they could spend it on meals and clothing and vacations and whatever else. Um, And then it caught a lot of press, right? It kind of caught fire on Twitter. Even the Ethics Commission was tweeting about it. Um, And then uh, House Appropriations Chair Roger Thompson pulled it. Senate, excuse me, yeah, Senate A um, and B chair Thompson pulled it and said, "It's just a joke. I'm just making a point." Um, and then he did acknowledge in the uh, in his statement that he feels like there's probably a better way to um, make the point.
0: <laughs> right, but <laughs> he he, al- he also so said, said like the, this is a conversation that we need to have. Because the current ethics uh, commission restrictions are unreasonable, and I'm just like, what, what, which ones? Like, which ones are you talking right. about, bro? Like, what do you want to use the the money that people give you to run for office? Like, what do you want to do with that money that you're not allowed to do with it now, right? Like, you know, is it is it restrictions on like lobbying? Like, 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 I mean, what, like, what, what is it? I, you know, what. And, he said we need to have a conversation about this, and then stops talking. So, <laughs> legitimate no, like, so. And,
1: and legitimately, maybe now's not the time, right? Yeah. I, I, I think to me, whenever they fiddle with ethics stuff, it makes me feel icky. I, and I think a lot of voters feel that way too. They was it last year, year before last, like often the ethics commission will make their recommendation for their administrative rules right when they do this big thing and they're like here's what we think the reporting requirement should be in the rules and the legislature almost never adopts them and often they will like cut those out and then also cut the ethics commission budget like right now it's it it was cut significantly a couple years ago so they have very few staff which means less oversight
2: and it was out of sight it wasn't even like a rational reason to cut them
0: right so is because they tried to make tried to pass new rules that restricted how the legislature can do things, and like, and this isn't even the only ethics thing, uh, like the action they've taken that would hamper the uh, the ethics commission this week. There's also what House Bill thirty six thirteen. Um, so this is a bill that essentially would prevent state agencies that from collecting any information that identifies a person as being a member, supporter, volunteer, or donor of a financial or non financial offering. Financial or non financial support to any entiti- entity, entity or, organized pursuant to the 501c uh, code of the U.S. Internal Revenue Service. So Which this means C
1: threes def- and C fours, like right?
0: And so you have there. to, you could, you. The, so um, the uh, the director of the uh, Ethics Commission, Ashley Kemp, said that like if this goes into law and it's right now awaiting the governor's signature, they'd have to take down the public website that allows people to search records for candidates, campaigns, lobbyists, and political action committees. And it's like, and the justification for this. So you go and you ask, you ask the bill sponsors, right? And they say that, uh, uh, that uh, this is representative O'Donnell and Senator Kim David, um, that this is about protecting the privacy of citizens who belong to political organizations. Like I, I just don't, you know, the you're allowed to like free speech says that you're allowed to belong to whatever you want and say whatever you want. Like that's, that's fine. But like, if you're embarrassed about the political causes that you support and donate to, maybe you should think about not supporting and right. Like, like this, I just, Oh, this, uh, as you know, my, uh, my, uh, my good pal from, uh, what is it? King of the hill? No family guy says, uh, really grinds my gears. This really grinds my gears. Like this idea that we have to protect people's privacy from donating to political stuff.
2: Well, and it's tension among the um, idea of transparency in governance and the way that we are handling our business. And I think handling business includes Donating and participating in the election process and um, in the political side of things. And so it's a little strange that in some areas we want to push for transparency and governance and who's involved and who's doing what. But on this end, we want to protect people. So it's it's just a little confusing.
1: Yes. They, so, you know, one bill. that I think connects to this. Um, They passed a bill, uh, House Bill 3826. I think it passed both chambers. And it is a a big, rather significant change to the initiative petition process should the governor sign it. I haven't heard yet if he did. This was just yesterday, the day before. So Wednesday or Thursday. Um, It would change the actual signature form that you, and like how the signatures are collected. So right now, under current law, the, the form itself that like you sign like a petition for a, a ballot initiative is mandated to have 20 signature lines have the gist at the top. And it, and it specifies what is supposed to be on that on that piece of paper. So this changes all of that. It would have fewer than 20 lines, I think, because they need space. Um, and it would basically make it to be like a standardized form, kind of like a like a medical billing form or one of those things where it has like little, the way it was described to me is like those little boxes where you put each letter in there. I mean, medical billing
0: forms are known for their ease of use and (laughs) that, that, you know.
1: That has a lot to do with just the healthcare industry as well. This is straightforward, name, address, date of birth, like that's really all you got to put on there. Um, But the goal is that the form would be scannable and so the this bill house bill 3826 authorizes the legislature or no excuse me the uh, election board to purchase software and equipment they would need to um not, not the election board the secretary of state um, so that they could scan in all of the uh signature pages and basically like automatically check them against the voter record and in fact the bill requires the Secretary of State to c- confirm signatures. So this is like a nuanced thing that I've just learned about is that the current law is that when a when a campaign collects signatures, right? So you get 250,000 signatures and you turn them in, they do a spot check where they look through and make sure they're all like look valid. There's not Mickey Mouse and you know Donald Duck or there's not a whole page that are all the same handwriting, those right. kinds of things that make sure all, they're all notarized but they don't go through to make sure that every signature is a registered voter unless the opponent challenges the validity of the signatures. And my reading of this bill is that it would, this would now require the Secretary of State to automatically confirm and validate all of the signatures as soon as they're turned in. I, it was couched as being a bill that makes signature challenges cheaper and quicker which also means they're easier to do. But I also think that if the Secretary of State is automatically going to check, then there's no, no one's ever going to file a challenge because it's already being checked, right? Like the reason we have challenges now is because they're not always checked. This arguably also helps campaigns because most you know, ballot initiative campaigns want to know who signed their forms. And so they have like an army of volunteers that go through I and think. read- Terrible handwriting and try to type it all into an Excel sheet. So this way, like campaigns get by the software and machines and scan it as well, I guess. So there's a few other changes. Now, all of that to say, like. If. Um, so there's well, OK, sorry, I got mixed up. There's two bills. Um, so 3826 is the one that changes the form to the initial petitions. It had a partner bill. 3827 that changes how um, ballot initiative campaigns or like state question campaigns are run. The current law is that you file your state question or your ballot initiative, you go through all this legal stuff, you know, then you get to collect signatures, and then their signatures are validated, and then the governor puts you on the ballot. And at that point, once you're actually on the ballot, is when you have to start reporting stuff to the Ethics Commission. Now you have to report backwards to the very beginning for when you first filed. So you have to just save that information, but it doesn't come out until the very end. So you know, presumably for like the Medicaid expansion campaign, the governor just put on the ballot a few weeks ago, so they didn't have to send anything to the Ethics Commission until just a few weeks ago. And that includes who their donors are. This bill, 3827, changes that and requires everything to be filed from day one. So it's being collected either way, but it's being filed from day one. So my question is, this is all, this is more in the weeds than we usually get, but if you've got one bill that passed first, that says uh, you have to report all this stuff to the Ethics Commission right away, including all the donations to you as a committee, which is a 501C4, most typically, then they had this other bill that effectively says no state agency can collect information about donations to a 501. So
2: protect. Yeah.
1: Right. I wonder what happens, right? Like I haven't yeah. talked to an attorney yet, but I wonder right. if that means that you then, if they just, if they just undid what they were trying to do. That On the
0: sense? one hand, we want to make it much harder for people to pass initiative petitions. On the other hand, drummed up concerns about privacy which 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 oh don't huh, i just i can't i want to i want to subvert the will of the people in like so many different ways and you can't do all of them oh man they also passed the bill to
1: about local control i forgot all about yes, that yes yes yeah bailey so, talks about that
2: yeah and so the way they worded it is in addition to the well it's a it's a amended Uh, part of the emergency powers declaration to where as long as that's in place, um, the municipal leaders have to get permission from the governor before they can institute anything um, that's in conflict with whatever the governor puts in place. And so it's a way for the governor to have cohesion around any of the declarations um, that he puts into place while he has uh, this declaration of power. Because um, there was a lot of confusion um, a month or two ago, which feels like a year ago at this point, of municipalities saying we have these stay at home orders and businesses can't open until XYZ, but the governor's orders um, say another thing. And so, um, but the governor's orders allowed for municipal leaders to have a say. So it's based on, um, this is what the governor says you can do unless your, um, your municipal um, leadership says otherwise. Um, And so now this clarifies to say that it's whatever is instituted by the governor or the legislature, and municipal governments need to get permission if they need to make changes. So
0: we want local government unless local government does something we don't like. In which case, we want strong central government.
1: <laughs> well, it's I mean this happens every year, right? Like there are bills that are like we don't want the feds to be involved in Oklahoma. Like we want we want local control. This is about states rights. And then as soon as any city in the state does something the state doesn't like, it's like, except for you guys, right? Like you can't ban smoking. You can't require these things. You can't, you, you know, can't, your you can't are,
2: raise your minimum wage. Yeah. You Can't
1: raise your minimum wage. Right. Um, and so it's like, it's just whoop, right here. And so again, I feel like, you know, I feel like in, in many ways, the legislature is perpetuating the narrative, right? that That they are special somehow, that they, that the rules of the feds don't apply to them and the rules of the cities don't matter, that the, the ethics rules that the feds have don't apply to our state, that, that they want their own rules here. Um, and they, even in debate this week, we saw a number of times where they said, this is about the legislature. In fact, Scott talking about the administrative rules, right? their argument, they kept trying to say, well, one member kept trying to say, this isn't about vaccines this is about the legislature and that this somehow the state department of health was circumventing the legislature by making their own rules. When in fact, That's literally, literally their job. well, the legislature passed a law to create the administrative rule process so that they don't have to make the rules. Right. Like they're like, you know, we oversee things, they have to approve yeah. them, yeah. but they have that on purpose. And so this
0: is ridiculous. We, we, we gave them the job and the power to create rules and now they're doing it and <laughs> they're, they're doing it. <laughs> uh, and
2: Brad. it's the body that has like oversight by the governor. <laughs> so that's another
1: Oh, that's yeah. So that's
2: thing that they passed. So
1: that's probably a good segue, right? Like um, into talking about um uh things uh, related to the budget in particular, is that I think we've seen several times this session, right? That the legislature and the governor are not getting along like they used to. Uh, And so they, I guess maybe nowhere is that more obvious than with the budget. So Bailey, walk us through what happened this week? I guess this was on Monday or Tuesday it all started?
2: Yeah. So there were a couple of bills that the governor um, vetoed. Um, And the legislature um, noted that if these couple of bills um, are gutted from the budget, it would create a $370 million hole um, that the legislature would have to fill um, with cuts. Um, particularly cuts to education. So it was framed that if these dollars um, were removed in the way that they were approaching um, this veto, then it would mean like a 12% uh, cut to education. Um, There's also rumors that um, the governor didn't have conversation with the legislature through this budget process. And so there was frustration with uh, lawmakers that uh, the governor made that decision uh, to make those two vetoes, without having conversation about that happening. Um, And so once um, the governor put those vetoes in place, the legislature came together in a um, rare way um, because we don't see uh, veto overrides because veto overrides are difficult. It takes three fourths of both chambers, the House and the Senate to override a veto. And so the legislature came together not just by chambers, but even by parties, um, and over, uh, and didn't override uh, the yeah, governor's veto is, so that the budget would stay yeah. in place.
1: But I was typing our notes for today. I was like, "Is overrode? Is that a right? Is that a word? <laughs> it was over, overridden. Over, over
0: overridden. No, over- I mean it's really, it's it's really. I mean it's pretty crazy, and I don't know if this has ever happened before. That's one of my one of my never-ending list of things to research it's and find out.
2: It's been a out. long time. <laughs>
0: I'm I'm, yeah. I'm currently on uh, mid 2017 in terms of things I'm trying to research and see if they never <laughs> happened before so I'll let you know in two years when I figure this one out but um it's it's I don't know it was super it was super interesting and it's it's interesting because on the one hand I I I feel like for the legislature to override the vetoes was a good thing right like I think it was I think it was the right call given where we're at however I also think the governors point in terms of his problems with the budget are not without merit either, right? Like, you know, it was, it was because his, his point largely is, um, and I had to step away for a minute. So Bailey, if you talked about this and I missed it, I apologize. But it, his point is largely that a a huge chunk of that budget next year relies on one time funds, right? And he is saying you should not be writing a budget based on money that you don't know that's going to be there the year after that. And on the one hand, I think his point is well taken and that that's that's true. You shouldn't make a habit of like budgeting how you're going to pay for recurring expenses using one-time monies. You shouldn't do that personally. Then you shouldn't do that in, as a legislative body either. But at the same time, like the money's got to come from somewhere. I think that the legislature is counting on the federal government to come back and backfill a lot of these holes, which is what um, Representative Eccles alluded to a few weeks ago when he was on the show with us. Um, to that point... I would encourage Representative Eccles to be in contact with all of uh, all the members of Oklahoma's congressional delegation who voted against the bill today. It would do exactly (laughs) that, Um, you know, and they all have they all have different reasons. I, I should I think they have all similar reasons for. For voting it, this was one of those bills where um, Oklahoma's congressional delegation, just specifically uh, in the House of Representatives, acted with uh, uh, unanimity. Uh, Representative uh, uh, Kinderhorn, as well as Congressmen Cole Kern, Lucas, and uh, Mullins, all voted against the third part of the coronavirus uh, relief the package that that went before the house, but, um, it's about
2: a $3 trillion bill.
0: Yeah, it's a huge bill. And there's, there's some good stuff in it. Um, there's a lot of good stuff in it. And in my opinion, there's reasons why they didn't support it, but a big chunk of that bill is $640 billion for state and local governments. And that's the money that I think, uh, the legislature here is counting on to fill some of these holes next year.
1: Well, so the real, like, um, the like the real issue was that the the like the specific bills as Bailey mentioned like dealt with pensions right and there was a lot of discussion of like they're not taken from the corpus like from the the money in the bank they are going to not put as much in the bank for the next year Uh, they've been making like double or triple payments to try to Mm -hmm try to build it up. that
2: solvency yeah
1: yeah um because it's and i think now it's like 70 percent funded whereas i mean 10 years ago it was like five percent or yeah. something it was very it was almost insolvent and so we were, we were way behind. They yeah they've made some really good moves to get it up there um and um they once they did um they're like, well, okay, well, maybe we don't make a double payment or a triple payment this year. Maybe we use that money to actually pay directly for education with the hope, right, that, like, oil prices come up and yeah. things down the things road. Things get
2: better, um, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, and so.
0: We should, play, we should play living on a prayer right here. Just put a, <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, no, I mean, it,
2: it, it, it's a valid rationality to it. It's just the circumstances of where we are don't allow us to make that decision so yeah. it, it, it's a lose-lose situation almost in yeah. a way right well, like,
0: and, I don't, and I, don't and I, fault, I don't fault the legislature for for overriding the vetoes right like I think I think this was to keep everything as whole or as close to whole as possible and particularly common ed for next year I think was you know the right call wanting to preserve the historic investment in public education that they made two years ago. Um, that wasn't really an investment at all, but that's, I digress. It was historic, um, so. Yeah, Well, right. It was historic, I, but, but, well, but, it, but it is, this is not something you're going to be able to do to, to do year after year after year, right? If oil prices don't come back, if the feds don't backfill it, there's either going to be cuts or they're going to have to find the money from somewhere else.
1: Right. I mean, you know, the, the truth is um like this stuff sucks, man. Like all like the government gets money one way, right. From taxes. That's the only Mm -hmm. way the government gets money and everything in every sector of the economy is down. Right. Like, and so that means less taxes for every level, city, state, federal government, and only one of those can print money. Um, and so, and it needs something to that back is,
2: in order to print money. You can't just right. print random money.
1: <laughs> but yeah, that's yeah. I mean, I've been nervous that like this is going to drive up inflation, and, and we've already seen like the price of gold drop because the dollar dropped and um, all this stuff. So, I think you know it's important to recognize that things are bad across the board, and that that means they've got to make tough choices. Now, what those choices are is up to them, and you know us as citizens to advocate, yeah. but. The their decisions to try to get through one year, I I could see both sides of this as we've discussed. However, like legislature as an institution does not have a strong history of like being proactive and like they do have a they do have a strong history of kicking the can down the road, and that's what got us into the like uh-huh. terrible fiscal position just four years ago when oh, we I also don't... had a one point three billion dollar shortfall.
0: I don't think that's entirely fair, Andy. Why is that? No, it's completely fair. <laughs>
2: well, and one thing I wanted to mention as I wanted to... 100% accurate. Yeah. Well, one of the, the, the tough decisions that I wanted to raise too is um, they passed the measure that would cut um, the affordable housing credit from $4 million to $2 million. Um, we have a significant poverty rate in the state and we have a lot of people who rely on, um, affordable or that, that, um, section eight or, or other types of affordable housing programs. And so I worry that even cuts to, um, that program will make it tougher for people to have, um, a place to to call home and that stability.
0: But Bailey, they're going to increase the cap on the education opportunity scholarship fund credit. So that will make up, like letting people donate more money for private schools will make up for cutting the affordable housing credit. Don't you think?
2: I mean, it
0: just gets, I'm sorry. I'm but in a bad, but it, I'm it a goes bad back
2: to <laughs> Like Decisions, right? They could have kept that stable right? and put less into that scholarship fund. I mean, there's, it's, it's really about how you make decisions and what it means. And there's going to be consequences for that decision. It's going to hurt people in the long run. So on,
1: you know,
0: it'll make other it thing. harder for people to get affordable housing. But at least those people who don't have affordable housing can send their kids to private school.
1: <laughs>
0: feeling cynical today.
2: Right? <laughs> right? You
1: know, I think one of the, the other interesting things um, surrounding um, the the budget discussions, the veto and the ensuing override... It's certainly how they message around that, right? So the, you know, Governor Stitt, I, I thought he had obviously had his team, like, help out with some of this messaging, and it was, I thought, pretty decent, where he said, um, I I had no input on this budget, and so I didn't want to put my name on it. Like, whether or not that's the right thing to do, neither here nor there, but that, on face value like makes some sense right like i don't want to sign a budget that i didn't have an input in unless i totally approve of it and clearly he did not right um, and that that back and forth of who said what with the budget he had a and
2: uh, his uh, i am not a politician so yes
1: <laughs> yeah he said i'm not a politician so i don't really understand like the the getting back at each other thing and i don't know whether that's true or not for him, I think that is uh, a good statement because that's the kind of thing that like voters get sick of that stuff too, man. Like, you know, a few years ago, uh, a representative who's no longer in office like openly said that they were not going to hear a bill because the author was rude to them in some
0: meeting, and I was like,
2: that you're happened to an one adult. of the bills like, I worked on. <laughs> <laughs> like you're an adult
0: does. I mean, it's a, it's a good talking point and it'll probably play well, but man, it is just like, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a politician. So I don't understand how this works. You're the freaking governor. Like you are, you are in fact a politician and like, by by virtue of
1: running for office, you became a politician.
2: And being elected. And, And,
0: and, 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 and on the kind of a serious note, like I, I'm not a politician, so I don't understand how this like get back at each other works. Like, The full story of this is that if you ask some of the – if you ask some of the legislators anyway, right, they would say that the governor and his representatives – or not even the governor, his representatives – walked into a room and said, we want these things. These are non-negotiable. And if you try to move on these, if you try to move on these, like, discussion's over. Like, we're not doing anything. And the legislature said, that's not how this process works. And the governor walked away, okay? So – You does 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 not being a politician mean that like you don't understand how to have a conversation? Like, is that what that means? Like, I don't understand how this back and forth works. Have you not had like relationships with people? Like, is that like (laughs) did junior high? Right. I mean, like, do personal relationships not matter in like the business world? Like, I don't, I don't,
2: (laughs) I don't. We we talked about this in previous podcasts that the ideal that he has and the approach on the office is a CEO mindset and when you look at yourself as the ceo of the state you expect to be able to say this is my vision this is what needs to be done and then it just happens and when you have a you know co-equal branches of government plus you know a court system that's not how government or in in, and even in, in what we've talked about in previous podcasts you have other nations within your state that you have to work with. Like he's learning that it's not as simple as I want to will it to be done and it's done. So I think he is learning what it means to be a elected leader among other elected leaders who have equitable power and having to balance all that out.
0: Well, and part of leading, like, especially in a role like this, part of leading is bringing people together leading isn't saying like, this is what I want. And if you don't give it to me that I'm going to veto the budget and you guys own this, because I think this is a bad idea. Like that's not leadership.
1: Well, and so I mean, a couple of things, one, uh, a point of personal order. Scott said that the governor walked away. And I think it's been clear from him and others that he was physically not in the budget negotiations, which is a deviation from past years, right? Like We've all seen photos of Governor Fallon when she was directly involved in a bunch of negotiations, often with uh, one of our oil and gas overlords on the phone, also <laughs> involved in
0: negotiations. When, when <laughs> the governor was negotiating the budget with the legislative leadership and then the CEOs of Continental and Devon, yeah, yeah, <laughs> as one, as one does. And they took a picture of it. Like that's the kind of thing I'm like, why? Why would you? Or she
1: said, well, <laughs> "Look at her." Me. I was like, I- you didn't "Call me." Look, look at call- her,
0: <laughs> hard at hard at work, asking asking business communities permission to raise taxes. <laughs> right. So we can,
1: uh, you know, we can we can wax poetic on Governor Fallon's missteps some other time. the The other thing I think is interesting, right, is that when about this year, 2020, lots of things interesting. Um, specific to Oklahoma politics is that it has been a huge civics lesson for all of us and arguably for Governor Stitt too, right? Like, I don't know how politically aware he was or politically curious before running. He has said he's an outsider. He we said know, he, didn't
2: he didn't vote in, much on He didn't vote, so, right.
1: Why well, don't know if he said it, but we all, it's public record. And yeah, he had not voted in a number of elections. And so there's a good chance that he was living life, running his business, doing the thing that most people do, right? Not everyone is doing podcasts once a week about state politics, just, just us nerds. So <laughs> what we've seen this year, and I, Bailey and Scott, you both hit the, hit the nail on the head, we have separation of powers, right? So we have seen, we've seen the state Supreme Court make a ruling about laws that the legislature passed, and the legislature subsequently passing new laws to deal with that ruling. We have seen the uh, legislature pass laws that the governor vetoed. We've seen the legislature override those vetoes as well. Um, I'm sure there's been some interaction between the governor's office and the Supreme Court, though nothing jumps out at me. Well, there was almost
2: one when the legislature um, sued the governor and they were getting ready to have that meeting for the Board of Equalization.
1: That's exactly right. the The legislature used so one branch used another branch to try to force the third branch to do something. Yeah, that's exactly right.
0: Wow, and um, and the governor yeah. has appointed two justices, right? Two, three.
1: Yeah, that was all last year, wasn't it? At the end of last year, I, oh, it, was, I mean, it
0: all runs together, but like still interacting exactly. the governor and the and the Supreme Court, like the right the influence the influence that the governor has over the court that doesn't necessarily extend to their rulings, right? Right. Like,
1: Right, so that's like a like a, a perpendicular, parallel sideways uh, ruling, horizontal ruling or interaction, right? There's also the vertical civics lesson between city, state and federal governments, certainly during this COVID-19 crisis, where we've seen that relationship and how it is not always smooth, right? <laughs> um, between what cities want or need and what the state wants or needs and what the federal government wants or needs or what they all think. Um, and so everything from, you know, a simple task like trying to order masks and gloves for someone to, you know, more advanced um, issues of income and tax revenue and who's going to pay for these things um, and all that's, that. Um, that's another
0: thing that happened this weekend is that the, the legislature is asking questions like, hey, we can see you're spending all this money, but this data is not saying who they're doing business with. Like, that's – right. Like. There's and they
2: said we're not going to uh, sign off on and nominate the person that you want to run the State Department of Health.
0: Ah, uh, yes. So yes. That's it's uh, a number of... This This has been a... It's been a very busy week for a week that we didn't think was going to have that much going on. Yeah. Uh, all this, yeah. All this uh, essential budget-only stuff that they're doing. It's pretty crazy.
1: Yeah. And then... Like there was something else in there, some other civics lesson. Not that that's not enough, but I think we've seen, yeah. I mean, both the horizontal and the vertical relationships in government, and in some ways, um, like how we, the people, have a role, and and what happens when the government takes steps to limit our role, right? Which is not cool. Oh, that's a that's the third thing I, I remember. Um, is so not just within our own government, horizontally and vertically, but between governments. Uh, and Bailey, you mentioned, you know, our interactions with other sovereign nations, right? So, aside from what we see about, you know, China or other countries and how everyone's responding to this COVID crisis, um, but here in Oklahoma, we have uh, a, a you know several dozen um, Native American tribes that are sovereign nations, and so this. Discussion around the tribal compacts um, has been a big deal with the Comanche and the Oto Missouri tribes signing new contracts, compacts, excuse me, new uh, gaming compacts. The other tribes um, still negotiating. and Oh, and going you, they
0: see uh, the other tribes kicked them out of the like gaming
2: association. OIGA.
0: Yeah. 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 So the gaming association. Yeah. Which I get, right? Like if you're,
1: I mean, I think it happened with oil and gas as well. Drama, drama, drama. Yeah, there's a really interesting uh, um, op-ed in the Stillwater News today about it that says like, hey, listen, if these are all sovereign entities, they should be allowed to negotiate their own compacts, right? They don't, why are we trying to force them into one model one from before? So so I think just there's like, I mean, that really is international politics that just happens to be in our own backyard. Yeah. Um, I think it's all, this is all very fascinating, very fascinating. All right. Well, is there anything else that we didn't cover today that happened this week that we need to talk about? No. I,
2: think I, that's, the, I don't that's
1: know if we mentioned it. it, but um, S and P said that Oklahoma's bond rating is probably going to drop. It's like a, well, they were a one in three chance of it of it dropping.
0: Yeah, there was. Lots of uh, entities
1: are having their bond ratings lowered, but
0: we talked about it only briefly. Um, So the, the bill that uh, the bill, this was 1102, I think Um, I can't keep them all straight. Um, This was the movement so fast. This was the the Senate bill that essentially would the, the department of health was trying to propagate a a new rule that says, if you would like a, an an exemption to vaccines, a non-medical vaccine exemption before you can be granted the, Exemption, you have to sit and watch like a 15-minute presentation on the science okay. and evidence behind the safety and effectiveness of vaccines. Um, that passed uh, the House, I uh, want to say... Like sixty six twenty nine, I think, uh, something like that. Um, yeah. Sixty six twenty nine twenty eight. Um, after a lengthy and spirited debate that was largely not factually based, anyway any way, um, at least on the side of Representative Gann, who was who was carrying the bill. Uh, however, I believe that that, is, that bill is not going to be heard in the Senate. Is my understanding. Um, so that did pass the House, but I think it's dead. Interesting. Interesting.
2: Well, and it's another reminder for our viewers, I was going to say listeners, but now viewers, um, nice. to continue <laughs> to uh, continue to follow the legislature and follow organizations or um, news sources that you rely on uh, because things are moving so rapidly. Um, before we started the podcast, Andy, we were talking about Um, the constitutional convention bill and how the language was gutted to say something completely different. And so things are changing and moving so fast that um, it's important to, to follow those sources that you trust so that you can continue staying in conversation with lawmakers about what you want to see and what you don't want them to to do.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. I was going to mention that bill. So that was Senate joint resolution 31. And We've been watching it since it was filed back in January because that's potentially a big deal, right? Yeah. So originally, and it, it's so it started in the Senate and it passed the Senate and went to the House, um, and then was moved direct to calendar. And so we all thought they are fast tracking this bill, and the bill would would become a state question and be referred to a vote of the people for us, the voters, to say whether or not we wanted the legislature to convene a constitutional convention, that convention then would be empowered to change, amend, you know, uh, restrict, whatever, um, any part of the state constitution or propose an entirely new state constitution. However, whatever they come up with out of that would then also have to be approved by vote of the people. So I think there's a pretty high bar, uh, but yeah, so it's direct directed calendar And then it passed yesterday, and Bailey sent me a message and just said, SJR 31 passed the House. And I was like, holy cow. And so I texted some friends and said, I guess we're going to have a a constitutional convention. And then late last night, I was looking at it um, and realized that just a few minutes before they voted on it, they did a floor substitute and replaced all the language in the bill. And now it's like a bill to do with property tax exemptions for certain manufacturing facilities that would begin January 1st of 2023 government is abused so like c- couldn't be more different right like and they just needed uh, and, the
2: vehicle so I guess they just grab that bill or One they
1: thing. just wanted to, to, to freak us out maybe they're messing with us has <laughs>
2: now
1: let's go back to the senate to be voted on or not
0: one thing that is, I think, as to bring up as we as we are f- finishing here, um, I believe that both houses are scheduled to finish up all their work today, right? Like they're gonna they're gonna hear all the bills today, and then they're gonna adjourn, but they are not going to officially adjourn sine die, like ending the session. Like, and the reason is if they do that, right? Like, so if they if they finish their work today, but then they don't adjourn sine die then the governor has a five-day deadline um, to decide whether he's going to sign it. If they were to adjourn sine die, he would have 15 days. And this way, if the governor was to veto a bill, they have plenty of time to come back and attempt to veto override if it's something they you know, consider tremendously consequential, like you know, taking away the power of municipalities to declare emergencies and things like that. They could come back. And,
2: and they're and- also still yeah. in a special session because they have the governor's uh, cheaper power still granted. So right. they would have to come back and decide if they wanted to grant the governor another month of those extended powers.
1: Right, that's exactly right. There's, it'll just keep going. Um, right now, as we uh, wrap this up, at uh, nearly four o'clock on Friday, the House is debating a funding bill for Medicaid. So it's like these are super important bills that they are still working on and they were up there late till 11 o'clock or so this yeah. week and um, uh, some nights. And so if you are at home as we all are, right. And you ever want to watch legislature, you can go to okay. Legislature.gov okay. House.gov okay. Senate.gov uh, and watch their live streams. Um, it's moderately interesting. Sometimes it's, really interesting. Sometimes
0: really interesting.
1: Yeah. Um, and. And it, I think it gives you a feeling for how some of them are. It, I mean, today I was watching earlier in like the house, this after, no, it was this morning, actually. Um, the, the house was like saying goodbye to some of their members who were turning out, so like- Like Senator
2: Mike, Stanislavski.
1: Yeah, yeah, Representative uh, Mike Sanders. And so they kind of get a, a chance to say a few things and it is. I, mean, I think it's a sign of respect that they let them go first and get that kind of stuff out of the way before they get to the business of legislating. But well,
2: I'm and sure that you get to see them put like 80 million pieces of paper on the member's desk yeah, <laughs> as that's a right. final that, parting gift.
1: <laughs> that's right. All the all the bills from this year. All right. Well, as we uh, as we wind down, I do want to um, well thank both of you first of all for joining us today. Thank you, Bailey, for being here. we would never miss it. Yeah. Scott, thank you for being here. Thank you. <laughs> I uh, and I also want to um, remind everyone that I'll put up in the corner here, a little icon for CivicsCon. Uh, two weeks from today, we will not be doing a live stream um, podcast. We will be doing a live stream of CivicsCon coming on May 29th. It is a, um, a one-day live stream event where we are going to talk about a bunch of stuff dealing with civics. You can go to civicscon.com and um, and check it out. It's going to be super fun. We're going to talk about open primaries, ranked choice voting, independent redistricting, anti-gerrymandering, voter registration, kind of all these things. You're um, going to have nas- like national-level guests, the CEOs of open primaries uh, vote.org of the Vote at Home Coalition the Ranked Choice Voting Coalition of Maine um, lots of stuff Um, it's going to be super exciting so on that note uh, we're going to wrap up don't forget um, to uh, subscribe to Let's Pod This on Apple Podcasts or Spotify wherever it is Overcast whatever podcast app you use you can certainly find us there Let's Pod This is a member of the Mostly Harmless Media Network, based right here in Oklahoma City. You can follow Scott and Effie on Twitter. If I add them back real quick, you can oh, see Bailey. Their handles at the bottom. What'd I say? <laughs>
2: Effie. <Not> Effie. <laughs> Effie. Sorry.
1: <laughs> Shout out to Effie Craven, who um, is one of our good listeners, and I uh, got to see her last night. We did Civic's Trivia for Generation Citizen on Zoom, and uh, got to see Effie
0: and actually her husband just texting me. Also, one bit of one bit of news that is uh, that is important. I don't think we mentioned. Uh, well, this is news; it just happened. Um, the uh, COLA cost of living adjustment for retirees has officially passed both houses and goes through. So, for the first time in like a dozen years, um, the Oklahoma retirees are going to get a cost of living adjustment for their pension. So that's like- And
2: this has been a long time coming. They've been
0: working on it for a long time. Yeah. So this
2: is really good. good. Right
1: Good job, legislature. That's a good place to end. Way to end on a positive note, Scott.
0: You did one good thing and a million horrible ones, but the good
1: thing,
0: <laughs> the good thing was really important. Good.
1: All right, well, let's fix this as a nonpartisan, non-profit organization. We want to educate and equip you to be more civically engaged and into those relationships with your neighbors and your elected officials and, and maybe make politics and government a little bit better right here in oklahoma we encourage you to get involved in any way you can and remember decisions are made by those who show up have a great week everybody